defeated. Second Chronicles chapter 7. Uh, the temple has been built. Uh, Solomon has prayed for the people. He's interceded for the people. He's prayed uh, God's blessing on the temple. And we read these words in Second Chronicles chapter 7. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house. All that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord and in his own house he successfully accomplished. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in, in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, verse 14, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. Happy Fourth of July. I'm really proud to be an American. I really am. I love this country. There's no country like this country. I've been to a lot of other countries. I wear the red, white, and blue. I fly the flag. I do all of the American things because I'm proud of my country. America is remarkable in so many ways, the land of the free and the home of the brave. A lot of people from other countries want to come to this country. They love our country. If they had a choice to live in any other country than their country, most of them would want to live in this country. Some of you will remember when I climbed Kilimanjaro a year and a half ago, I met people from all over the world, literally from England to Russia, China, Australia, Japan, Germany, all, all kinds of places. And at the end of my, my uh, climb, at the very last camp, uh, people were, take, you know, were taking pictures underneath the sign indicating that the, that the climb was over. And there was a group underneath the sign that I offered, you know, can I take your picture? So I grabbed their phone and took their picture. And then they said, well, wait, come with us, stand with us and take, take your picture with us. And so I stood among these people uh, and they were speaking English, but I didn't know where they were from. And I said, where, where are you from? And uh, well, they asked me first, where am I from? I said, I'm from America. And they were all excited about that. And I said, well, where are you from? And they said, we're from Iran or Iran. See, I'm not from that country, so I don't know how to pronounce it. But uh, they were so excited that they had met an American, and they leaned over to me before I left and said, our people are good. Our government is bad. We love America. <laughs> we love America. We love America. Uh, you and I are so fortunate to live in this country, so blessed to be a part of this country, and we should be grateful for the blessing that we have in this country, and we should not take that for granted. We should pray and work uh, for the blessing that this country is. Having said that, as a follower of Jesus, sometimes I have to remind myself that I have a truer loyalty. I have a higher uh, faithfulness. I have been called to a higher uh, where my ultimate loyalty lies. I'm a citizen of America, but beyond and above all of that, more importantly than that, more importantly than that, I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm a citizen of heaven. Speaking of other countries, I've been in places like India and Cambodia, Haiti, Tanzania, Kenya, people who don't look like me, people who don't talk like me, people who don't sound like me, and yet there's a bond that is created within these people that sometimes isn't even experienced in America because we all are citizens of the kingdom of God, and that love for Jesus binds us together. Paul talks about that in Philippians chapter 3. You know, Paul was a, Paul was a person who had dual citizenship. 
And you can do that. You can be a citizen of two different countries even today. Uh, Paul, was, was his home of origin was Israel, but he was also a citizen of Rome. And yet more important than both of these, Paul wrote in Philippians 3, his citizenship, our citizenship, is in heaven. And from it, we wait our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, our King Jesus. In other words, my baseline of loyalty, my highest allegiance is to the King of heaven, my forever home, heaven, where I celebrate my ultimate freedom in Christ and worship with every other nation and tongue and tribe from around the globe who names the name of Jesus as their Lord and Savior and worship King Jesus. The Apostle Peter shared his perspective in his letter. He said, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Two verses later in that chapter, he called us aliens and exiles, reminding us that this world, regardless of what country you call home, this world is not your home. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 11 called us strangers and exiles. Now, here's the thing. Loyalty, uh, loyalty to your home uh, is an important thing. Uh, it's a very common thing. People are usually proud of where they came from. Way back in 1963, a group by the name of the Beach Boys. Anybody remember them? Good. Do you remember the, the song, Be True to Your School? Yeah, you're, you guys are very old. Uh, Be true to your school. Be true to your school. So I thought I'd stop here for just a moment. And let's hear the cheers. How many of you are KV Cougars? Any Rensselaer Bombers here? Yeah, we're glad you're here. Anybody, anybody from, uh, who went to North Newton School? Yay, one proud person. Uh, Hebron? Couts? Okay, and we could go on and on and on. That's the thing. It doesn't really matter what school you were from. You were loyal to that school, right? You wore the colors and you loved the mascot. And win or lose, you were proud of being a cougar or a bomber. Uh, and a cougar couldn't understand why anyone would admit that they were a bomber and vice versa, right? Uh, I'm not from any of those schools, so you're all losers. But that's how we, that's how we live our life, right? My school was terrible in sports. We lost everything and everything, and yet we never stopped supporting our team because we were true to our school. It's just a thing. There's loyalty lies within us. Now, some of you, some of you didn't grow up in, like me, didn't grow up in this area. You're transplants. You're a stranger. You're an alien in this place. And you're learning how to make this home your home. You're making a new home in a new land with bombers and cougars. How do you do that? Because back in your mind, deep in your heart, there's really no place like home. Like I said, I've been to a lot of places around the world, a lot of wonderful places, but there's no place like home, right? There's no place like home. I've grown accustomed to my home, to this place. I've grown comfortable in this place that I call home because this is the place God has planted me. This is, this is the place where God is preparing me for my ultimate home. This is the place that God has given me my purpose to live out. So what does this mean for you and me when we consider our citizenship our ultimate loyalty, where we really belong. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, seek first the kingdom of God. When the apostles were threatened with persecution, if they didn't obey the king, Peter responded with these words, we must obey God rather than men. 
In other words, there's a kingdom that calls for our loyalty and our patriotism first and foremost. We are citizens first and foremost of heaven. That's first. But at the same time, we are called to bring that kingdom to earth. Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth in this place. I think about Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, the prophet who cried, who mourned over his home because he loved his home. But Jeremiah prophesied at that time when the Israelites were being ripped from their homes and transported into a foreign place to make a new home and a new, in a new place, a different landscape, a different language, a different culture, different values, and, a, and different faith systems. And yet Jeremiah urged the people to pray for their new home, to settle in their new home, to seek the prosperity of this land that they were going to have to call home for 70 years. Jeremiah said this in chapter 9, Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. If it goes well for them, in other words, it will go well for you. Now, this is the same passage where we find those most famous words, For I know the plans I have for you plans for hope and a future. I have a purpose for you where I have planted you. So what is this saying to us? He's saying to us that our citizenship is in heaven. But until we get planted in heaven, we need to bloom where we're planted now. Jesus said to be salt and light in the place where God has called you to make a difference, to find your purpose and live out that purpose in the place where you live. Now, friends, this is why we vote. This is why we get involved in the political process. This is why we seek positions on the, on the school board or the zoning board or the town board or any civic organization. This is why we get involved in the affairs of our community, not because this place is awesome and wonderful or permanent, but because this place is where God has planted us. This, for now, is our temporary home, and God wants us to influence this home and make this home as much like our heavenly home as we possibly can. So how do we do that? Romans chapter 13, let every person be subject to the governing and authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. I, I don't know, that might be one of the most unpopular verses in the Bible for Jesus followers, right? <laughs> because we struggle with government authority. We struggle with what our part needs to be in the affairs of this temporary home. We struggle with how God has called us to live in and to pray for and to work on behalf of its welfare. Paul actually says, I mean, if you're in this passage, if you're resisting the government, you're resisting God who established the government. And of course, that sometimes will be uh, in conflict with what Peter, what we just read earlier from Peter, that there are times when we must obey God rather than man. The principle isn't that hard. If the government agrees with God, we agree with the government. And if the government disagrees with God, we agree with God. We stand with God. So God calls us both to civic loyalty, to pray for and to honor the king, be true to your school. But he also sometimes calls us to civil disobedience, to display our ultimate loyalty and our faithfulness to God. Here's the deal, friends. We're not always going to agree with the leaders in charge, right? Right. One of the greatest benefits of this country, living in this country, is that if you don't like the people in charge, you can change the people in charge, right? 
And if you don't like the people in charge, just wait a few years. All the, you know, those people in charge will be changed with other people in charge. If you don't get your way, just, you know, work in the political process. In a few years, it'll all change. But in the meantime, we continue to work for the welfare of this place we call home. Now, I w have we ever had a president that was unpopular? Here's a better question. Have we ever had a president that was always popular? Who was, who's the most unpopular president that we've ever, don't throw out any names, okay? I don't want to get into a discussion about that. But I don't think any of our presidents have ever been truly always popular or always unpopular. Uh, but think, you know, who was the most unpopular president in our American history? Think about that. I want to suggest to you it might have been Abraham Lincoln. If you read his story, friends, they tr they wouldn't vote for him for a very long time. And then when they did vote for him, they wanted to vote him out. They tried to impeach him. They eventually assassinated him. Abraham Lincoln divided the country because of what he believed. The country was never more at odds than under President Lincoln's leadership with each other and with their leaders and most of all with him. Both sides of the Mason-Dixon line. They wrote scathing articles about him in the press. They burned his image in effigy. Some historians call Lincoln the most reviled president in human history, in American history. But friends, 160 years later, Abraham Lincoln is one of the most revered presidents in American history. We look back and we realize how God used Abraham Lincoln in a miraculously powerful way. Here's the thing. When Paul wrote the words that we just read in Romans chapter 13, you know, to like to obey the state, to honor the leaders, to pray for those in charge, to cooperate with governing authorities. When he was writing those words, Nero was in charge. It was Nero who was burning Christians at the stake to light his dinner parties. I mean, you think you, we have it bad sometimes. When Christians were being thrown to the lions, Paul was on the same page with Jeremiah. Keep working for the welfare of the city. Keep working for the welfare of the city. Pray for your city. Work for its good. Be, be loyal to it. Get involved in it. So we have a lot to pray about, right? We have a lot to work on. But we also have a lot to be thankful for. And with that, we have a great responsibility as salt and light to preserve the blessings of this free society in which you and I get to live. Paul wrote this to Titus. Remind them, because sometimes we have to be reminded, to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. I need to re read some of that, right? Submit to rulers, be ready to do good, to speak evil of no one, Facebookers, uh, to, to avoid quarreling, Twitterverse, Snapchat, Instagram, well, I, I don't know, does that happen? Uh, Paul says, be gentle and courteous to everyone, everyone, those who disagree, those who do not believe as you do. I mean, that doesn't sound very much like the public discourse in our country right now, does it? And you won't find that kind of politeness in any news channel today. You just won't find that. But the question, I think the, the heavier question in this is, how, does this sound very much like the church in public discourse in America? You know, disregard how the, the culture deals with their problems. How is the church dealing with our problems? I mean, this should be the hallmark of every believer in the culture, to submit to its rulers, to be ready to do good, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and courteous to everyone. 
Going back to Peter in chapter 2, he said to fear God and honor the king. Fear God and honor the king. And I think he intended for us to do it in that order, to fear God. And when you're fearing God, you can honor the king. Paul told Timothy, first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. And then he listed, the first one he listed was the king, those in charge, for kings and all those in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. That's what we're supposed to do. Why? Because Proverbs 21 verse 1 says that the king's heart is like channels of water in the hands of the Lord. And it is the Lord who is sovereign, who turns it wherever he wishes. So the best way we can be true to our school, that we can be loyal to our country, is to pray to the ultimate eternal ruler, fear God, about our current temporary ruler, honor the king, and to work for the welfare of this kingdom. Friends, you and I live in the greatest nation that has ever existed on the planet. No one has lived in more freedom and more prosperity than those who call this country home. We are grateful for the men and the women who gave their lives to make this possible and for those who will continue to sacrifice to preserve what we have to make this country as good as it can be, all the while realizing that this home is not our ultimate home. But until we reach that home, God has placed every one of us here to bring that ultimate message of freedom to those around us, to be salt and light, to bloom where you're planted, to love your neighbor as yourself, to be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have and allow the blessing of God to empower you to bless others. God bless America and God bless the church in America and may God have his way in every one of us. Would you pray with me? Father, we are grateful for all that you have given us and for the times that we have taken this freedom and this prosperity for granted. We repent and we recommit ourselves to working in and praying for the welfare of the country we call home, that we might influence this country and those around us, and that we might bear the message of grace and truth. We thank you, Father, for your goodness. We thank you, God, for your faithfulness. We thank you, God, for your sovereignty. We thank you, God, for everything that you have given us, everything that you are to us. And we submit our lives to your goodness and grace. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, amen.